to say hi to everybody online. It's good that you're with us. We'll break into a small group at the end. You'll be part of my small group because we're going into the seven feasts all fulfilled in Jesus Christ and what they, they reflect of this redemption we have in Jesus Christ. And then we will um, break into some prayer into that. I'm looking forward for this season. I, I think there's just something sovereign in the timing of the Lord in this particular season of the feast, the new year that's upon us, and where we're going to, uh, what God's doing in the shift. Sometimes the shifts can be subtle. Sometimes they can be like a seismic shift that shakes the earth and everything around it. I believe we're in more of a shaking shift than, than a subtle one. But let's be ready for Jesus. He's, he's on the move. His voice is speaking changing things everywhere around us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, it's good to see everybody here tonight. Blessings and blessings and blessings. I was, um, the other thing I wanted to mention, I gather your attention, those online, uh, please, you can go back online and download the PDF because that way, because tomorrow we will not be starting with Nahum, we will be starting with uh, Micah. So that's important uh, because otherwise we're, we're just jumping from Jonah to Nahum, which is almost a space of a hundred years around the same city. And one is to save the city and the other is God's pending judgment over the city. And so it, I thought, wow, that's really, and yet there's a Micah in the middle. So Micah, Micah, Micah. I love you, Mikey. All right. Okay, can I get your attention? Can you sit down, settle in? We got a lot to, not a lot, but, oh, the other thing, the other thing why you have a seat, the other reason you want to grab these if you're, is we put in special uh, readings for the feast. You'll find them in red, and like uh, this uh, Thursday, we will go through Leviticus 23, which we're going to touch on tonight because we want to do an overview of all seven feasts fulfilled in Jesus. And that's the recording of the feasts when they're first listed by God to Moses. Numbers 29 talks about the offering during the feast. There are three uh, feasts. Yeah, well, I'll get into that in a moment. Anyway, it goes in when we hit Yom Kippur, which will start on um, the... 25th, and then when we go into Zechariah, or the, on the 29th, we go into the eight days of the Feast of, of Tabernacles, the seven days, plus a great day of the last day, which is the day Jesus stood up in the temple and said, if anyone is thirsty, come and drink, and you receive the Holy Spirit. So all that's there. Uh, thank God, thank you to Lynn, thank you Karen for leading the corporate prayer, that was incredible, that was incredible, great. And thank you, Jubilee. Thank you, Jubilee. Thank you online for participating because that's what corporate prayer changes the dynamics of the corporate world, the largeness, the, the community when we can gather together. We're going to do it in two weeks again. So not next week, but the 27th, we will have another corporate prayer and we'll begin by the Spirit's leading where we, where we left off and go at His pace because He's purposed to accomplish through in his son, to be revealed in his body, the things that he's doing on earth today. And so we're, I'm excited about this, 
Tomorrow, next week, we're going to, in the midst of the days of awe, looking to the atonement, we're going to talk about the goodness of our God and testimony, His faithfulness. We're going to hear of how He is walking with us to bring us into that place of oneness and union. We'll also get a chance to hear from the carols. They've spent over five weeks, six weeks in the Philippines, had amazing ministry miracles, and have come back with an amazing testimony. We want to... to take that, glean that. So come, you have a chance to give your testimony. We're, the whole prayer meetings on Wednesdays are focusing into positioning our hearts before the Lord in the midst of the fulfillment of Jesus Christ in the feast because there's something of that hour that's happening. So if you'll allow me, we'll start, then we will break. We'll try to give ourselves about five, ten minutes at the end to break in small groups and share uh, this where we are. So I'm going to start with a disclaimer, and it's going to begin in, second, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. And it's a disclaimer because when you go to see things that were shadows, if you don't keep looking at the substance, you start thinking the shadow is the substance. And so all things that are in the Old Testament are a shadow leading us to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all promise and of everything. So... He goes on by speaking to us in who we are and how we were found and what God has done for us. I love this. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Now, let me uh, give you some really great news. They took Jesus off the cross, but they left the handwriting of ordinances that are against us on the cross. They don't follow into the future, though they are in, 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 um, enforced in that they are God's character and God's kingdom mandates, but they are no longer the means to try to be accepted before God by observing them. Having disarmed the principalities and the powers, he has made a public, or verse 15, a spectacle of them, triumphing over them. This is... This is so raucous that God, what, what happened is, as all that was against us was overwhelmed and overthrown and overcome and be made uh, just, as it says, he became, he, through death, he destroyed him who had power of death, that is the devil. So this is a powerful event, but it doesn't stop there. I can't, uh, everybody knows me well enough to know, I'm always wanting to sing this song further into where it's taking me. I don't, I, so we are singing the darling of heaven crucified. And inside I'm going, I, I, I fully believe that. But thank God he's no longer crucified. So then I'm going, how do I, what would I sing today? Because it's right that he's seated at the Lamb. What, he's not the darling of heaven crucified. So I started singing, you're the champion of heaven glorified. Amen. And that is so important. Everything behind us is less than what is in front of us because everything in front of us is being summed up into Jesus Christ and him being the head and us the body. So he goes on then and he says, so let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a feast is what it would refer to or a new moon or Sabbaths. So even then, as Gentiles were coming into faith, there was a resurgence of many who felt we need to get the full picture of the, 
of the, our biblical history as, as a nation, and, in, and many were intrigued to get in there. And then you, once you're intrigued, you can get a little too much where you have to, it, it becomes like, it, it, instead of you may, you should, and if it isn't, then it goes from you should, you must. And so this was, uh, one of Paul's assignments was to, was to keep this, the grace of our Lord Jesus uncontaminated by, uh, by the works of the law and the works of the flesh. So he says, these are food, drink, festival, new moon, Sabbaths, are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance is of Christ. So for me, I love the feast because they take me to discover Jesus. And what was represented or fulfilled in Jesus Christ, I can now partake. So I'm going to try to move us enough in a speed that we can embrace each of the feasts and allow it to be fully ours again which is why God is, you know, I always say, God, you're a genius. And he goes, well, I'm not, I'm actually omniscient. I'm (laughs) all-knowing. So it's not really hard for me to know what I'm doing. But he designed for Israel before they had gotten, but just just just, just while they were setting up the tabernacle and putting up the priesthood, that there would be seven feasts that they would be celebrated. And you'll go with me to Leviticus 23. This is a perfect place to familiarize yourself with them. Uh, And four of them have already been fulfilled, not just because they are fulfilled in Christ, but they actually have a calendar date. We can point backwards and say, on such and such a date, this came into the church. The church began to fully uh, come into the opportunity. The last, they're all in the spring to early summer. Then the last three feasts are the ones we're entering into called fall feasts. And they are all fulfilled in Jesus Christ, but yet to be pointed to a calendar date where we can go and behold and say something that was, was a historical shift of, of the church's engagement and, in, and submission to this truth fulfilled in Christ. So I'm excited about what's coming because what's coming is even better than what we've already had. So let me find my way to Leviticus 23. So the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, to, Say to them, this is chapter 23, Leviticus 1, The feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to his holy convocation. These are my feasts. Six days, verse 3, you sh- work shall be done. But the seventh is a day of Sabbath, of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work in it. It is a Sabbath of the Lord. It's in all your dwellings. So many will say that really there are eight feasts. There are seven annual feasts and one weekly feast. And the first feast is the Sabbath rest. And we know in Jesus' time that anytime you try to observe something too strictly and concretely, you begin to lose the essence of what the feast was meant for and begin to actually go against the purpose. We, we, um, so what that means is the principle of rest in Christ, ceasing from our labors, Hebrews 3 and 4, is to be imbibed and recognized and returning to and coming out of our own labor. How you find that, whether it's on a Saturday or a Sunday or the way in which you disengage. I love what Jack Hayford said many, many, many years ago. He said the principle of the Sabbath was that man has to humble himself and say, there is more that I could do, but I have to stop. 
rest, worship, and give God his space in my life. And that keeps us from trying to complete something within our own resource and strength. But now going on to the seven feasts. They're all fulfilled in Jesus, like the seven spirits of God are all the same Holy Spirit, but seven unique expressions of this one Holy Spirit. These are the feasts of the Lord. Holy convocation, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. On the 14th day of the first month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. That's the day they came out of uh, the Passover lamb was slain and Israel was called out of Egypt. And on the 15th day, the next day, the same month, is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. So what these feasts reflect um, in, second, in 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to read that, is, speaks of Christ, our Passover, and of us part, eating of the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. When Israel was taken out of Egypt, they could not have gotten out of Egypt without the blood on the doorpost because the death angel would have killed them as fast as anybody else. All the firstborn were decreed to die. The only thing that separated them from the rest of the Egyptians was the faith they had in the obedience to the charge to take an innocent lamb, slay it, put the blood on the doorpost, and then devour the lamb, roast it, and then prepare yourself to leave. You're not going to have time to, to leaven your bread, so it's going to be unleavened. Direct, eat the Passover, ready to leave. And this event was fulfilled, obviously, when our Lord was crucified as a Passover lamb. And the unleavened bread is the, is the part of our practicing our faith in Jesus Christ, in his living word, with sincerity and truth. I would call it our sanctification journey, which is a lifetime journey. And in 1 Corinthians 5, we're, we're referenced again that we can try to be with Christ in an old leaven, an old tradition, or we can partake of the Passover with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So I always like to think that those two conditions of heart, sincerity and truth, are really important to which I want to approach the Lord childlike. So those were fulfilled. They got out of Egypt, and they began a process of recognizing not only is it an event, but it's a process. And then there's a third feast. It's one that most wouldn't know. It's, it's the first fruit. And it goes in um, the verse 9, I believe. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel. Uh, okay, verse 9, please. When you come into the land, which I give you, I'm, I'm not asking you to do that so much, Kelly, because I'm impatient. I just can't read my scripture as well as I could. The words got smaller in the last <laughs> month. My same Bible, it's just they shrunk. I sh <laughs> anyway, Cammie laughs at that all the time now. When you come into the land which I give you to reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. Now, I think any of you are getting ahead of me. You already know who that is. Who's the first fruit? Jesus. Jesus, the one who was first raised from the dead. Now, watch this, how prophetic this is. You shall, he shall wave the sheaf 
before the Lord. To be accepted on your behalf. And on that day after the Sabbath, the priests shall wave it. And you shall offer on that day when you wave the sheep, a male lamb and so forth. I won't get into the measurements. Uh, so after the Sabbath, on the first day after the Sabbath, you're to wave the sheep. What day was Jesus raised from the dead? Sunday. Right? He was, this is exactly the day. Now, this agrarian society, at the time of the writing, you didn't know when your first fruits came. So when your first sheaf came, then you were to bring it to the priest to be waved on the first day of the week after the, day, after the Sabbath. So it could have happened on a Thursday or Friday. But it just so happened that Jesus was raised on the dead, from the dead on a Sunday and became that offering. And today in the Jewish calendar, it's counted like that. It's, it's counted from Passover, from unleavened bread in the same fashion. And then one more, and then we're going to do all four of these because they're all already ours. So Jesus has been raised from the dead. He stands before the Father, fully glorified, fully our high priest, our king. He has been given all of, all of the things that we now get to enjoy. He said, all that the Father has is mine, and therefore I will send the Holy Spirit, and he will announce to you everything that's mine. So then they said, verse um, 15, and you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths to be completed. Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. That's, a, that's, a, that's the eighth Sunday from the beginning point of counting. Then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord, and you shall bring from your dwelling two wave loaves, two lengths of ephahs. I won't get into all the measurements again. But this was called the Feast of the Weeks or Feast of Pentecost. This is when the church harvest began, the harvest of the church, of the, of the, of the earth. And that's when the 120 turned into 3,120 in one, one afternoon. That's when the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out upon Jesus in his coronation as king and royal priest. And he received the promise of the Father and poured it out upon the body. And, and all of a sudden, there was such a, a, such a, uh, a institution, an initiation of a kingdom, of a priesthood, of, of a whole new reign of, of, of relationship with man and God in Christ. And just explosive. And we, we know the story. We witnessed it in the book of Acts. It may be diminished from some of its expressions, but we're about to go beyond any of the expressions we've seen as this closes. But can we take a moment and just re-acknowledge, because that's what I like to do, the four feasts that have been fulfilled and marked on time. If you'll stand up with me, just kind of break the routine. I'll, just, I'll lead us in a simple prayer declaration, and we'll acknowledge these truths. You may not feel like they're working. You may feel like you're poorly... Uh, experiencing them, but by declaring, declaring truth, we are positioned to receive what truth declares. That's sanctification. So we'll say, Heavenly Father, thank you for the Passover lamb that you have provided in Jesus, the Son of Man. 
who was slain for my sin, his blood over my heart, over my household, brought my salvation out of destruction from the death angel. Thank you, Father, for the command to eat unleavened bread of sincerity and truth, not of get malice or guile or any such thing. Thank you for sanctification through belief in the truth. Your word is truth. Father, thank you that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And this same Holy Spirit, you are giving life to me in my mortal body in, at your command. I receive the resurrection. I receive this new identification, sonship. I was made alive together with Jesus. I was raised together with Jesus. I am seated together with Jesus in heavenly places in Christ. Father, thank you for Pentecost, for the coronation of the king. For you have set your king on Mount Zion. Oh, your anointed one. You poured yourself upon him. Gave the Holy Spirit a promise, which he poured out upon us, having justified us, sanctified us, delivered us, made us his own. We now have received the gift of the Holy Spirit to witness Christ, the power to be a martyr in any place that you ask of us to lay down our lives for our friends, for your glory. In Jesus' name, refresh all of these truths. Refresh all of these truths. Go ahead, refresh all of these truths for me. Whoa. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Okay, you can be seated. Thank you. Thank you so much. This is something I, you can do all the time. And set into them. And there's so many scriptures that will refer back to these events in Christ and throughout history. Verse 23. And Carol, I'm going to ask if you'll be ready to blow your trumpet again first in a moment. Uh, and anybody else who's got them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel saying, in the seventh month, that's the one we're about to enter in on this Friday evening at sundown, on the first day of the month, you shall enter a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it, and you shall off offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. Now, 
we will, in the Israeli Jewish community, this is the beginning of the year. This is the new year. This is the first year. But though it's the seventh month. And some will say, well, you can understand it like some corporations begin their fiscal year on, this, on the September. How it shifted to be that head of the year, that's fine because it's not about the event, it's about the intent of the event to prepare for atonement. And people have thought, I've been a part of those thoughts, I've certainly been swept in those moments when you just thought, well, might as well be a part of the thought, that, well, that obviously is the rapture because the trumpet blows and the dead in Christ will be raised from the dead. And in 1988, if you're old enough to remember this, there was a, a, a message that went out. Someone wrote a booklet called 88 Reasons for the Rapture in 1988. And it got into our church, and people were excited. I read it. I thought, well, fine. I'd love that if that happens. But and we had people really believing, very making. I had someone who had a beautiful home they were building in Santa Rosa Valley, and they hadn't finished it. So they asked me to come up before the, the 8th of October, uh, or whatever, 80, I think it was that. But anyway, they asked me to come and dedicate their home. And I thought, well, if you're going to be gone, what does it matter? <laughs> but it's the stuff you do. That's why we try to always go into Christ and not backwards into you know, ways we would handle things. In any case, as we hadn't planned it, but it happened to be, and I, I've told the story many times, we were going to be away, Cammie and I, just ourselves, for away from the children at a beautiful little um, timeshare that a member of the church had arranged for us to be at. It was just in Ventura, uh, over at the beach. And um, we're, you know, we're, you know, again, I'm one of those guys, you know, I, I, I've always kind of been a pan, pan rapturist, pan tribulationist. I figured it'll all pan out. I'm ready to go today. I'm prepared to save for the, for the millennial. I'm not, that's not my focus. The focus is to stay in union. But in any case, we got up, um, we knew it was that day, and got up in the middle of the night, and it was a big enough place that we had two bathrooms. And I went up to the bathroom, not knowing Cammie, where, you know, she was in the bed when I left her, and I come back, and I walk into the bedroom, and she's gone. And for just a moment, I just thought, oh, I missed the rapture. <laughs> oh, I was so relieved when she came walking out of the other bathroom. <laughs> Oh, okay, God. Any case, why I, what I do think of the trumpets now is it's the call to awaken. It's the alarm. Get, collect your senses. Behold, the bridegroom's coming. Trim your lamps. It's, it's just this, it says, awake you who sleep and arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. There's a, there's a call to it. And so throughout the, the Jewish community, the trumpets will blow all day long this Saturday and Friday night, Saturday. And people are supposed to be just kind of going, here I am. Many have said that it's the time where the Lord would make the judgment of your, of your future that year. Decisions would be made or what they called at times the passing under the shepherd's rod where God was counting his sheep and determining. But the beautiful thing that was given to the Israelis and the traditions and I think there's very, very much value in it, is they, that followed by 10 days of awe. 10 days of awe were times to make amends. 
came to right wrongs, to try to resolve conflicts. And to this day, especially in the Jewish world, there will be a real attention to say like two businessmen coming together and saying, we've been at odds. How do we make this right? It was just because these efforts of man needed to be applied so that when atonement came, then all things were finally resolved. And God's always looking for us on our part to do our part, to acknowledge our part. So I love that as a principle. And the change that will happen is that when we get to atonement, and there, you'll read them in, uh, I think it's Leviticus 16. It is... Two things are required on the Day of Atonement. You're to afflict your soul, and you are to uh, do no work. Now, the reason the afflicting of the soul, which is the part I don't believe the church has matured into, but we're on our way. It took a lamb per family to get a household out of Egypt. So it was a very individual sanctification and, or salvation. But for a nation to host God, and as a one community inside a one priesthood, inside multiple tribes, with everyone having a place of worship and everyone unique, just the whole picture of the body of Christ, it took one man to obtain atonement from the sin of ignorance, the sins done in the sanctuary, by the priesthood, and all of Israel. So everyone had to stop working. Everyone had to fast. Everyone had to say, Lord in heaven, I know I'm a contributor to the cause of this. I know that there are issues that I need, that I would have done to stain the community. And I want full restitution, but not just for me. We all must be made free. We all must be sanctified. We all must come into that unity. And that's what's coming on the earth. That, when that hits the church, when we come into that, the rapid maturity because of the oneness that we will, the one speech, the one mind, the one heart, I, we've never seen it. We saw beginnings of it in the book of Acts, chapter, uh, at least from chapter 2 to chapter uh, 11, maybe 13. But then it began to dis, dis, uh, dissipate. But it's going to come into this collecting. So when that atonement reigned, the reason I think that no customary work is that we really had to pause and say, there's nothing I can do now. I cannot do anything for my future. My future is in a man who's been put as high priest, who's going to stand before God and through that offering that he can do once a year for all of us, atone for all of the sin and for the sin being carried out of the camp so it was a very holy day. Today in Israel, if you live in Israel, and all my friends who lived there and tell me the story, the one day that is a phenomenal is uh, atonement, Yom Kippur. You can walk through any busy street. You can go get on the freeway and run around. There's not a car on the land. It is just entirely holy. And the fear of God and the reverence, and um, just this place. For me, that's my vision of what the high priest, the king, fully recognized, accepted, received, deferred to, acknowledged, trusted in, relied upon. No one else 
when that revelation is not only received but then practiced, there'll come this completion. That's when I think we'll have a fulfillment of that feast in the church that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who now is the high priest, did the one offering, but we can drift. We can lose our place. We can think we're, as all the prophets we've read so far this year, all the prophets are dealing with Israel or Judah who think they're living a righteous life, doing everything right, think they have all the benefits and all the blessings, but are blind to what they're doing that is not pleasing the Father and will not return to his prophets and come into a place where he could remit and return and relent and all of that. So I think we miss that by not taking time to say, you know, how did this year go? What did I do? Is there any people that I got to deal with that I want to release? Is there anything I haven't, how, did I, how do I process, you know? It's different than taking, you know, years in December, what am I going to do next, better this year? What uh, new resolutions can I make? Okay, so that's that. Then we have one more, and then we're going to blow the trumpet. <clears throat> that is called the Feast of Tabernacles, or Sukkot. After Yom Kippur, which happens on a Sunday night, the end of the month, going into a Monday, a one-day event, you count five days, and you come to Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles, or Feast of Ingathering, because it's the, it's the gathering of the final. All the harvest has now been gathered in. It's been threshed. It's been bundled. You've separated tares from the wheat. If there's any point which the separation of the church from the earth and the, and the wheat from the tares will happen, for me, I think it's going to be in that, that feast. And, and the funny thing about that feast, it's the only feast in the prophets that is recorded into the millennial reign of Christ. Zechariah 14 records that after the king has returned... We will go to all the nations that are left. They will have to go to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Tabernacles. And I never saw this before. In fact, there's a book, there's a little paper, you can pick it up on the way out, about the Feast of Tabernacles. Because I was reading it, and I go, gosh, I wrote that 19 years ago, but I didn't see that. It says everyone must go to Israel, to Jerusalem, to worship the king. There was no worship of kings in Israel's history while the Bible was being written because there was no king that would to be worshipped. The best king, King David, was the picture of the Messiah who would come. But this now is already prophetically seen, this glorious Lord Jesus. He will be in Jerusalem. And we will, he will expect every nation that's remaining on the planet to, re, to show up and worship him and keep the feast. So wherever this is, this is going to go into the millennial. And it's going to be, remember, he's re going to rule the earth for a thousand years. And that's along with him. That's our training for reigning. That's where I want to be. He's going to rule for a thousand years with a rod of iron. You will do what he says. There will be perfect peace through perfect submission, through perfect liberation. It will be a reign. It will be a rule. It will be like Solomon's rule in a much larger perfection and splendor and beautiful. Uh, then a thousand years later, Satan gets loose. He tr somehow talks everybody else of you know, the nations that are out saved to come back and return in rebellion, and, and they're all toast. Praise the Lord. Come on and bring out those, those, those chill fires, please.
Isn't it exciting to think about what might happen if we first start with the awakening? The awakening of the, of the sound and start leaning toward what is the fulfillment of God in this? I want to be ready. I want to respond. I want to be there. And what if the awakening that I recognize my necessity for this, a, a mediator, a high priest, a king, an intercessor, how dependent I am upon what Jesus not did at the cross in his submission to the Father, but what he's now doing in the leadership of his church in the kingdom. And all of a sudden, we're just submitting. And to the point where he starts to say, all right, that's good. Let me have more. I want more. I want more. I want more. I'm in charge of everything. Grace is sufficient for everyone. I want to do more. And we're all going, go for it. Go for it. Go for it. The possibility, some point, that truth will manifest at whatever level the Father wills it to be manifest at whatever way. And then the end will come, the maturity of the church. The great work of the last day is the maturity of the church that will bring us into a bride ready for her bridegroom, who made herself ready. So can we all stand together? I think we took up all our time. I'm sorry about that. But um, can you, you come on up? Yeah. Praise you, Jesus. So as believers, here we stand in Christ, access into the holiest of place, all the beautiful benefits that have ours to practice every day. But as a part of the living body of Christ on the earth, we desire today that when the Feast of Trumpets, the Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year, begins to sound, it would be more than shofars blowing, but it would be alarms that would go off. As though all of a sudden, things that were important would fall off, things that were issues would begin to be released and and like the bridegroom hearing his coming the bride the preparation we would respond and trim our lamps and lord you spoke to me today that you give that time so there's still time to get enough oil so lord we just ask you while these sound blows that you would call us to your attention to your son to his coming to his provision to his atonement to his high priestly kingly ministry in Jesus' name. Go ahead. Let's blow. Yeah. just a moment. We ask that you wake up, wake us, that we would awaken in the fullness of what you're calling for each of us individually and most importantly as, as a family, as, a, as the body. 
You can feel the presence of the Lord wanting to just start to like come into the midst of the being, and that that's what can continue on for days. But I'd like just to close our evening. Is that when this finishes this next time, we will erupt in applause because the blowing of the shofar, the verb blow, is the same verb for clapping of the hands. So though I cannot blow a shofar, I know how to clap my hands. And I can release a shout. And the Bible has said very clearly that God goes up with a shout and the voice of triumph. And I think there's something to which we can then anticipate meditating in the atonement and all that that benefits. There's not one thing in my life that has not been already addressed in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and administered today through his intercession in every level of society and every situation. I'm learning to try to trust more of that. And then, I forgot the last thing, which is the best thing. The Feast of Tabernacles is the charge. You're commanded to rejoice. You have to rejoice. So you, we're going we're gonna to come to that closing of this month into the 1st of October, and the joy of the Lord is going to break forth. And our vision will turn off of all the things around us, things done and undone, and turn to the one who is perfect and to the one who is able. You see, that's the purpose of the tabernacle. I am able. I am the Lord. I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you through the terrible wilderness. I will bring you into the fulfillment of what I promised your father Abraham. I am able. And that celebration... I think you start to surrender. At least I'm feeling it more and more that I go, well, I don't need to see it to believe it. I just receive it. And I'm now letting go of more and more issues that I felt were mine and submit them to Christ to fulfill what he did. And it's, it's, it is joy. It is joy. It is the joy of the Lord. You guys are awesome. Let's go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Let's raise our voice. Praise the Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Now, just raise your hand. I want to release that blessing. Lord God, we are excited that in Christ Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one, king and priest, is the fulfillment of all the seven feasts. And we ask you this year that as we go through these last three, that you would come to us, Messiah, anointed one, king, priest, and affect us and bring us into agreement with what you have accomplished in the Son. And that that eternal life, the life that is in the Son, would transfer and we would submit to and we could be releasing of all conflicts and obstacles and anything that offends and that you would be highly exalted, highly exalted above our emotions, our mind, our thoughts, our situations until we join in triumphant praise that God is able God is able to perform what he promised, fulfill what he promised. 
We praise you now, Lord. Let it flow. Let it not just here and not online only and not only into the other part of the living body at Jubilee, but throughout the entire living body of Christ upon the planet. We declare that the sound of the trumpet is awakening the church and calling her out of slumber, out of death, and into the light of Christ shining mightily in us, through us, and for us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Thank you so much. You know, we just closing that the Lord said this was part of intercession too. Because we came into agreement to the decree of God and made declaration with him. And now we're going to go out and grow that as sound. And it's going to get bigger and bigger and clearer and stronger in these next three weeks. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless. Love you. Out in the Lord. Love you guys online.